Now, First Peter has been a book about the path of suffering to glory. And Peter has taken us through this path and has prepared this particular congregation to suffer if God has granted them suffering and to do it humbly and trusting themselves to God. Now, he takes uh, his eyes and focuses on a particular subset of the congregations, and that is the elders. And the elders are the leaders of the church, and leaders of the church are important. We live in an anti-authoritarian age where even in the church, we believe it's just us and God, us and God. And we, 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 sh we run from any scent of Catholicism and praise God for that. But at the same time, the Lord has given leaders to the church so that even in Scripture, one of them could say, follow me as I follow Christ. And leaders are important for the faithfulness, effectiveness, and growth of the church. One writer says, The church is painfully in need of leaders. I wait to hear a voice, and no voice comes. I'd rather, I would rather listen than speak, but there is no clarion voice to listen to. Churches grow in every way when they are guided by strong spiritual leaders with a touch of the supernatural radiating in their service. That is what we want in this church. And that is what Peter is going to call the elders to in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Read with me if you would. <clears throat> 1 Peter says, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. Now, Peter is writing as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He is writing as somebody who knew the Lord and was an apostle. So I, I know I've made this point multiple times, but when, when someone asks you who does not have a familiarity of Scripture, when someone asks you, oh, why do you believe this ancient book? Well, it's not just we believe just random texts that were coming from nowhere. This particular letter we're looking at was written by somebody who knew the Lord, was discipled by him, was given unique authority in the book of Acts to perform miracles so that even people were walking by Peter's shadow in order to be healed. And he was commissioned to go and spread the gospel from the Lord himself. That's a man worth listening to. So Peter reads, writes as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was one of the 12 apostles. And he was a witness of this path that we're talking about. Suffering the glory. He saw Christ himself pioneer that path. So he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So in this passage, Peter is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He's a partaker of glory, just like we are, but he is an elder. And he is addressing a particular person in the con particular people in the congregation. 
the fellow elders. So today I want to talk about who the elders are, what the elders do, and the manner in which they're called to do it. And this is important for our church, like right now. This is where, this is where we are. If you, point it, if you point it on the map of our church, it's you are here in 1 Peter 5, where we're striving towards a plurality of elders. And I don't think we're quite there yet, but we will be, by God's grace, sometime in the near future. Um, men, as I'm speaking today, and you have a hunger for eldership, please let these words pierce through your own soul. Own them. Congregation, when I exegete this text, know that you're looking for men because ultimately this is going to be your, this is going to come down to you to call elders. This is going to come down to you to call elders. And so when you do so, it's not going to be who you like particularly. I mean, I hope you do like them. But it's going to be men who look like what 1 Peter 1 through 4 says. And 1 Timothy 3 says. And Titus 1 says. It's going to look like qualified men who you would follow as they follow Christ. So who are the elders? What did the elders do? And the manner in which they do it. First of all, who are the elders Peter is talking about? Throughout the New Testament, elders are qualified men who are formally appointed to share the burden of leadership in a local church. Qualified men who are formally appointed to share the burden of leadership in a local church. In Acts 14.23, you don't have to turn there, though you can if you want. In Acts 14.23, we read that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church. I want you to notice the plural and the singular, singular there. They appointed elders, plural, in every church, singular. The pattern of the New Testament is not a senior pastor and a congregation even though that, for some reason, has been the form of American churchism, the pattern is elders and a congregation. They appointed elders in every church. In Titus 1.5, Paul says, This is why I left you in Crete, Titus, that you would appoint elders in every town, as I commanded you. Presumably, each town had a church. So what Paul is saying is appoint elders in each church as I commanded you. We look and we see in Acts 11.30 that there were elders at the church of Antioch. At a single singular church, there were elders. We see in Acts 20, verse 17, that there were elders at the church of Ephesus. In Philemon, or not Philemon, Philippians, Paul addresses his letters his letter to the Philippian church, to the elders there, and the deacons there. And in 1 Timothy 5.17, we read that there were elders at the church at Ephesus. So an elder, you see there's a multiplicity of elders in the congregation in Scripture. Never do you see a pastor with no elders in a congregation. Now, when you see the word, you'll see the word overseer, you'll see the word um, pastor, you'll see the word elder. Know that these are all interchangeable, and they all refer to the same office in Scripture. In act, so the word elder is presbuteros, and it means older person, but it also came to take the form of an official office. Um, Overseers is the word episkopos, and you can see presbyteros, presbyterians, name their denominations after that, that word, where they have a session of, of elders. 
overseers, episkopos, episcopalians have named themselves out of, after that word. And then the word for shepherd is poiamen, which just means shepherd. And I think the Latin is pastor, and that's how we got the English word pastor. Um, in Acts 20, we see that the, get this, you could look there. Acts 20, verse 17, Paul tells the elders, the presbyteros, he talks to the elders and he, he tells them to oversee the church. And in verse 28, he also tells them to shepherd the church. So those are, there are those three words put together referring to the same office. Right here in our text today, Peter says, I exhort the elders, the presbyteros among you, to poiamen, shepherd the flock, that is among you, exercising episcopos, episcopus oversight. So those those three terms brought together. So all this is to say that don't get confused about different terms, whether it's overseer, elder, pastor, it's the same thing. It all refers to the men who have been appointed to lead the church. They're elder pastors, elder pastors. So like I said, the, the, the application here for our church is that we need to move, if we're going to follow the, the biblical prescription, we need to move from single pastor congregation to elders congregation. Are there different kinds of elders? Yes, there are. First uh, Timothy 5 <clears throat> says that the congregation should honor the elders among them, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So not all elders are called to spend the bulk and majority of their time to labor in preaching and teaching. That's why you might get a lead elder or a lead or a, the one who you call the pastor to teach and preach the bulk of the time. Um, and the other, others share in that responsibility and help lead the church in other pastoral ways. Um, elders will typically be lay leaders who help the pastor share the load, assisting them in care, shepherding, and any other kind of care of souls work in the church. And if one elder or some elders are particularly gifted in some ways and the church could benefit from their service more than they're already doing, our church or a church could call them to full-time ministry and they could be an associate pastor. And that's all actually outlined in our constitution. So even though multiple elders are in scripture, we see not all elders are called to do the bulk of preaching and teaching, and actually some elders could be called to a full-time ministry um, for other reasons or to do other functions in the church as necessary. So, fix that in your mind though. The main point I'm making here is that elders are a plurality, there's a plurality of men who are qualified who share the responsibility to lead the congregation. That's what an elder is, and that is the pattern throughout the scripture. If that's a surprise to you, I'd love to talk with you about it. Um, don't let the Americanized church set the framework in your mind for how a church should be. You never, ever see a single pastor with a congregation in the New Testament. You see elders. So... Um, that's who the elders are. What are the elders exhorted to do? Verse 2. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game, gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. 
So here we see that, um, let, me, let me go to the word shepherd. He says, shepherd the flock that is among you. What does a shepherd do? When Peter wrote this, that was common, and we kind of have to think about what a shepherd might do. Well, a shepherd has sheep, they're in a pasture, and a shepherd has to lead the sheep in certain directions, maybe back home or to greener pastures where they might feed. So leading. Feeding is another thing a shepherd will do. That's the point of bringing them out to pasture so they might feed. And then protecting, because out in the wild there's wolves and lions and certain animals that would try to destroy the sheep. So I think the an elder's responsibility can be summed up with feeding, leading, and protecting. An elder would feed by teaching and preaching the word and old, and so that people understand the truth in scripture. An old word that me and Carl Anger were just talking about is catechizing. And there are different catechisms you can use to teach the essence of the Christian faith. Um, the way we do it mainly in our church is through expository preaching on Sunday mornings. Um, we just preach through the word, and in Bible studies, we take a more theological angle where we look at topics. We've been doing that for the past year. All of that is feeding. Then there's leading, offer, offering spiritual direction to the church. An elder should be able to say, not this way, but that way. An elder should be able to lead with definite clarity when it comes to matters of faithfulness. Now, sometimes the elder is not going to know everything. So don't expect the elder to be omniscient. And we had a members meeting last week, and I admitted to you guys, I don't know everything. In fact, I would like your input about certain matters. So even though elders are called to lead, you are called to lead humbly, knowing that wisdom was not born with you, nor will it die with you. Nevertheless, you're supposed to lead. If the scripture has clarity on a matter, you are to lead in that clear direction. Next is protect. Protect from the wolves who might come and protect from false doctrine, even though there might be good intentions behind it. Protect from that. Hebrews 13, 17 says that the leaders of the church are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So in feeding, leading, and protecting, remember an elder has an extra weight upon him because he will give an account for how he has been faithful to the mission, the flock that God has given him to what? To steward. He says, shepherd the flock of God. I cannot stand it when people say, oh, this is Pastor John's church or this is Pastor Eric's church. Don't say that. This is not Pastor Eric's church. This is the flock of God. And I've been called a shepherd, the flock of God. And so if you see, and if we have multiple elders, this is the flock of God that we've been called to, show, uh, to shepherd. So, An elder has responsibility to steward God's church by teaching, prayer, leading, and general oversight of a congregation to take a people and bring them to faithfulness through theological focus groups, preachings, Bible studies, meetings, prayer. Now, if our church is going to be brought to a firm and stable basis, we need to move in this direction. It's wise, not only because it's the pattern of the New Testament, but it's wise because in the multitude of counselors, there is wisdom, right? There's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. 
And also, I think it, it sets an example, multiple examples for the flock. Because each elder is going to have different gifts and tendencies and leanings. And there might be, there might be more theologically inclined elders who make clear distinctions. And there might be elders who have an air of wisdom about them. And, and knowledge attained from experience. And they're able to put their arm around somebody and guide them in very wise and practical ways as they follow Christ. When we were at Capitol Baptist Church, they gave the distinction that sometimes there are, there are Romans elders and there are Proverbs elders. You remember that, Mark? Romans elders and Proverbs elders. So a Romans elder, theological, able to draw definite lines. Proverbs elders has gained by experience the wisdom needed to help lead a congregation. Congregation, you should look for men, even now, in our church, who are feeders, leaders, and protectors. Can they teach the Bible clearly? Do they give a clear word from Scripture? Can they divide the text adequately? Can they arrive at a principle of the text and then apply it to the church today in a way that benefits the congregation? Can they teach the scripture? Can they lead? And can they do so with humility? Can they do so as being as an example? Are they dignified and godly, like Paul says? Protect. Can they protect this congregation? In other words, are they bold enough to draw definite lines if need, need be? Would they talk about church discipline or are they too, are they too, is their spirit too weak to want to seem to be cruel in the eyes of people? Can they talk about church discipline and the needs and the need to remove somebody from a congregation in, out of faithfulness to Christ. Look for leaders, teachers, and protectors. Somebody who can feed the flock, lead the flock, and protect the flock. Um, not only that, congregation, you need to look for qualified men. Because honestly, you could feed the flock through education. And because you have a certain gift to stand up in a pulpit and maybe exposit the Bible. Or you have a theological mind. You could lead by gifting as well. You just have a strong voice. You can lead the... Con you, you believe what you believe. And you could protect because you're, you're strong and you, you don't accept any nonsense. And so all of that could really be a matter of personality. And I think personality does play in to shepherding in some way. But ultimately, what we're looking for is not just personality traits. We're looking for men of character. So if you would turn with me to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. When Paul gives Timothy the qualifications for an elder, here is what he says. He says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, there's Paul using that word episkopos to refer to a leader of the church, same thing as an elder. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Is there a glaring error of sin, or sin in his life? The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Men, Pause right there. Your church, your church right now, 
is your home. Your church is your home. Your wife and your children are the garden that God has given you to cultivate right now. Own that. Own that. Take, take serious responsibility for your wife's growth in the Lord and your children's growth in the grace and the knowledge of the Scripture and Christ-likeness and understanding what we believe. You should be doing family devotions. Man, you should be praying for your children. You should be setting a tone of holiness in your house. There should be an atmosphere of holiness in your house, and you should feed, lead, and protect your household right now, even before we even talk about eldership. You are the pastor of a little flock right now. And what Paul is saying is that the proving ground for eldership is the home. If you don't know how to manage your home, a small family, how could you manage the church, a large family? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into a, the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into, into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So he's not just a man who flourishes among Christians and able to put on airs, but he actually lives an exemplary life out in the world as well. He's not faking it here at church. <clears throat> so, congregation, that's going to be something that I put upon you, perhaps in, in a year, to call men. We'll see where the Lord leads. I don't want to necessarily put timing on that. Could be sooner, could be later. But that's going to be a decision we need to make. As it's momentous. So let's take it. Let's, I'm asking you, congregation, to now start thinking about and praying for the men who you would call to lead you and your family. Next question is, how are the elders called to do this? So they were, they're called to shepherd and oversee, feed, lead, and protect. But now how are they called to do it? And what I'm asking really is, what is the manner of how elders are to carry out their ministry? You know, I've told you before, when it comes to obedience with our children, sometimes they'll... We'll reprimand them. We'll tell them, we want you to go now, walk down the hall, and clean the room. And they could slouch, and then they could frown and do it. What we'll do, typically, is we'll call them back, and I'll say, now, Wes, smile. I want, I want to see your teeth, and I want your eyebrows to be raised. Do it all the way, right away, and with a smile. Now, maybe that doesn't actually pierce his heart, but you get what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get him to do it with the right attitude, right, Wes? The right attitude. And so that's the manner in which I want him to obey, with a smile, joyfully, respectfully. Um, so what's the manner in which a shepherd should feed, lead, and protect the sheep? There are three characteristics that, Paul, that Peter gives here. Number one, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Men should not be coerced into eldership. They should only be an elder if they themselves have a burden for the work of ministry. To, and that burden would be to lead, teach, and or protect. 
Interesting, in that verse I read you, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, Paul says, if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Aspire, oregetai, in the Greek means, it, des it describes the literal act of stretching yourself out. You're stretching towards this goal. You aspire to the work. Of ministry to lead, feed, and protect a congregation. So the calling for eldership includes a God-given hunger for the work. We will not coerce anyone in this church. The aspirate, what you aspire to, men, if you aspire to eldership, is not the office is not the title eldership. You aspire to the work of eldership primarily. And so, again, congregation, I address you here. You're looking for a lover of the word, somebody who loves the scripture and wants to talk about it. You're looking for a learner, somebody who himself studies at home, reads books on scripture, wants to understand doctrine, wants to understand what you're saying about things, and doesn't just treat doctrine and theology as an, an, an unhealthy extra, but actually cares about what God wants and believes. You're looking for a willing servant congregation, a man who helps the church, a man who willingly wants, cares for others, who is hands-on in the church and has been for some time. You're looking for a willing discipler congregation, somebody who wants to meet with people, who strives to build other, others up for their good, who is hospitable, who opens up their home. That's the kind of man you're looking for. So, yes, I am, I am aiming to establish a plurality of elders in this church. But by preaching about that, I am not laying any burden on you men. I lay no burden on you for eldership. God does not need you, and he does not need me. He does not need us. I am calling you, if you, if you so desire, if God gives you the aspiration to help lead, feed, and protect this congregation, he does not need you. He condescends to use you. And scripture calls it a noble task. So you will not be coerced by me. Now, I might pick your brain. If, if my assessment of you is that you might consider eldership, I might mention it to you. But I in no way coerce you because... An elder should exercising over oversight should be exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly. No one's going to twist your arm. You need to desire the work of ministry, and I can't make you desire. Only the Lord gives you the desire. All right. Next characteristic: not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The church is not a side hustle as so many people are treating it as an encore career. It's not a side hustle, nor is it a platform for advancing your reputation or exercising your gifts. Like, I need to exercise my gifts somewhere. This church will have me, so I'm going to do it here. It's not a platform financially or socially. J.H. Jowett, who was a British preacher in the 19th century, said, I'm not sure which of the two occupies a lower sphere, he who hungers for money or he who thirsts for applause. And an elder should thirst and hunger for neither, money nor applause. You should thirst for what the scripture promises you. In verse 4, potential elder the unfading crown of glory when the chief shepherd appears. 
you should thirst and hunger for a future reward. Thirst and hunger for the words, well done, good and faithful servant. There's a, a great, remember the band Skillet? Any of my 90s brethren out there? Skillet, great Christian band, 90s, right when the newsboys were hot and the, uh, who else, DC Talk. Um, but Skillet was a band, and I think it's, I don't know if it's a lead singer or the guitar player, has really grown. And he's kind of, I think he wrote a book, forget the title, but he also wrote a, a little article that you can find all, online called Make Pastors Uncool Again. And it is such a good little write-up about how a pastor should not, should not use the church as a platform to be um, you know, for social gain or for or, or some kind of, I think I feel like a lot of pastors are playing pastor. They have a certain outfit they need to wear that no doubt involves ripped jeans and 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 they they have this persona that they have to put on. And so he wrote this: make pastors uncool again. Pastors should not be rock stars, he said. A rock star promotes himself, builds his brand, and entertains the people. It's his job. A pastor, though, is supposed to lay down his life for his sheep. We want uncool elders in this church. So, make pastors uncool again. Eldership is not the path to financial gain or social rank but a path to eagerly lead and care for God's people. Next characteristic, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Is he a godly servant? Is he humble, not humility? not domineering, does he think much about his opinion? So, don't be so sure about what you believe. Don't be so sure about your convictions on a matter. God has given you other people in your life because you may be wrong. Some of the most famous pastors, and I won't mention any names, have never met an issue that they're not a hundred percent sure about and it astounds me they're sure about everything and it makes me wonder if they're really sure or are they just playing like they're sure not domineering do not insist on your own way if you become an elder but leading by primarily Example. So, example means exemplary life, first of all. A man who is not embroiled in sin, who repents when he does, who leads his family well, and therefore is somebody who you might call into eldership, who is an example in speech. Is there, is there a sweetness an appropriate biblical sweetness to his speech. Does he, does he talk about the things of Scripture? Does he have a loose tongue? All these things need to be taken into consideration when it, call, when it comes to calling a faithful elder. Putting all that together, we want elders in this church not because they are coerced, to become elders, church doesn't need you. Not because they hunger for self-advancement or a lust for power, rather because they have a holy burden to do the work of shepherding with other shepherds and to lay down their time and their mental bandwidth and put on their backs a certain spiritual burden that the congregation themselves does not share. And you look for the heavenly reward, the unfading crown of glory. 
So church, would you join me in praying for future elders in this church? We'll pray about it this Wednesday as well. But would you join me in men in praying for men who are excited and hungry for ministry, who are qualified, able to teach, who are examples in this church? And once, once we, we get that, I believe our church will become immensely more healthy when there are a plurality of men caring for the flock. Last thing that I want to touch on in this passage is the way the congregation should relate to the elders. Because he says in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now that's an interesting thing, interesting passage, because younger could have, it could have the shade of new in the faith, like younger in the faith, but more likely it means younger in age. Um, and what does that imply about elders? It implies that they were typically older, right? Um, you know that a, a man could not become a priest until he was 30 years of age. One of the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 is he must not be a recent convert. And yet, it's not as if the elder must be a senior citizen because Timothy himself who was to appoint elders was told by the apostle Paul let no one despise you for your youth so we can't make an absolute out of this presumption by Peter as if all elders must be older than everyone else in the congregation now, wisdom is gained by experience, and learning is gained over time. And so elders, I think, throughout the church and church history have typically been older. And so if you have a 22-year-old man that's fresh out of college, he probably doesn't have enough maturity um, and even learning required for eldership. So the presumption is... And I think the healthy practice is to have elders who are older. Um, nevertheless, you can't make that an absolute because even scripture itself talks about an elder and says to that elder, let no one despise you for your youth. So I think, and what many commentators think is that those who are younger doesn't necessarily refer to only one subset of the congregation. Like, he's only speaking to children, or he's only speaking to, like, 10 to 20-year-olds, be subject to the elders. He's probably speaking to the congregation who are under the elders' oversight of these elders who are older men. And what does he say? He says, be subject to the elders. To be subject implies a willingness to cooperate with the elders leading. So there's, there's a willingness to, to go along with the wisdom of an elders leading. And you're not creating a coup against the elder. You're not constantly questioning him, debating. Oh, there needs to be nuance here. Because you can question an elder, you can debate an elder. What we're talking is a heart posture, a willingness to cooperate with the elders leading. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Congregation, it would be of no advantage to constantly give an elder a hard time, to constantly question him, to constantly pry at him. It would, it would wear the elder down, and he would, he would begin to do his work without the joy requisite for faithful leadership. 
So let them do, your, do their eldering with joy. Now, if you have a legitimate concern, it is your duty to bring that to the elder and to the congregation at large. But we're talking about a heart posture. In what ways might the congregation be subject to the elders practically? I have three thoughts here. Number one, extending trust, which this congregation does to me. Extend trust. Um, don't vote an elder in if you do not trust their judgment, congregation. Um, if you wouldn't come under their counsel, uh, and if you wouldn't joyfully submit to their teaching or their wisdom, don't vote this elder in or potential elder in. So extend, tr extend trust to them. Number two, take their counsel. Think about the things they say. They've studied the scripture. They've been called as an elder for a reason. Think about the things they say. Maybe, maybe you're not right. Maybe you need to check your attitude. What about decision making? You can disagree with an elder. I want to make that perfectly clear. You can disagree with an elder. Got that? Here's the next thing I'm going to say. If you do disagree with an elder, you need to have a good reason. You should have a good reason. It, it shouldn't just be on a whim. You should have a good biblical reason for why you disagree with an elder. You're free to do so. Have a good reason. Because an elder has bathed themselves in scripture. Again, is that an absolute command? No. Absolutely not. There are elders constantly caught in sin and teaching heresy, and they threaten the congregation not to come against God's anointed. And you've seen this before in health and wealth movements. Very evil and demonic kind of thing. What I'm saying is extend trust and confidence in the elders under whom God has placed you. Now, if you're, if so if you're to obey me and submit to me as the only elder in the church, why don't I just make all the decisions? I could just say, well, be subject to the elders. Why is that? Because throughout the scripture, you don't see elders making unilateral decisions. You see elders bringing matters to the church and even the church themselves being told to decide something. Matthew 18, classic passage on this. <coughs> if a brother offends you, go and tell him his fault. If he won't listen to you, take two or three others. If he won't listen to them, tell it to the church. And if you won't listen to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. So church discipline is not decided by the elders there. It's decided by the church. In 1 Corinthians, the Corinthians are told to excommunicate this man who is in sexual sin. And he's, he doesn't say anything about the elders. He just says, remove this person from your fellowship. Interestingly, when in 2 Corinthians, this man is brought back into fellowship. He says the decision by the majority is enough, which is very interesting. It almost sounds like, sounds like there may have been a vote to bring this man back in. The decision by the majority is enough. Welcome him back in. So you don't see, <coughs> this is why we don't have a Presbyterian model of government, because it's just not in the Bible. What we see is a pattern of congregational authority, and we want to submit to that pattern believing that it's in there for a reason and it's wise. Um, so that's why I don't just have an evil reign here where I tell you submit to me. I bring things to the congregation just like I did last week. Okay. I know that's a lot. Let me wrap this up. Elders or potential elders should be understood as God-given gifts to the church. In Ephesians, 
God gives gifts, and one of them is pastors. Should see those, we should see those as gifts to the church. We should see future elders as gifts to the church. However, understand that all those elders are under shepherds. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Even though I also am called to lay down my life for the sheep, I could never make an atoning death, and no good any, nor could any other elder. It is Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, who died for the sins that separated you from God. And so we follow others only in that, and to the degree that they follow Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd who died for our sins and rose again. Now, if you are not a Christian here, or you're not exactly sure where you stand with Jesus Christ, Jesus is calling you to repent and believe. When I say repent, I mean it means not only to admit that you are a sinner in need of God's grace and mercy, but to reorient your life towards him so that now he is your shepherd. And you follow him as a sheep would. And you obey his commands. And you get involved in a local church. And you submit to the elders in that church. If you, are, if you believe God is calling you to this, understand that it is a call to follow him, that is. If you believe Jesus is calling you to follow him and you have not made a definite commitment in your life and you've been wavering, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. If you hear his voice calling you to repent and follow him and believe he will guide you towards eternal life, I would love to talk to you about that. And so would, so would the members of this church love to talk to you about that. But the Lord Jesus calls you to repent of your sins, to believe, and then lay down your life and follow him. Reorient your entire life around him. So brothers and sisters, we've been talking about polity and eldership and congregationalism in this sermon today. And we'll do, in the, do so in the future. But understand, we're not talking about polity for the sake of polity. And we're not talking about church structure for the sake of church structure. We are talking about following Jesus Christ, the way he ordained his church to function. And through the best of our ability and to the best of our conscience, we're looking at the scripture and trying to order our church accordingly. May God give us help in doing that. Let's close in a word of prayer.